So I think according to the lectionary, this is Baptism of Jesus Sunday. According to the Gospel of Mark and the narrative lectionary series, this is Superpower Sunday, or maybe the marginal revealing of Superpower Sunday. So I invite you to join me in following the reading from the Gospel of Mark in the third chapter. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand. The Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. They went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, hearing all that he was doing. They came to him in great numbers from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and the region around Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crush him, for he had cured many, so that all who had diseases pressed upon him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we focus again today on the life of the one human being who fully embodies God's life on earth, honestly. Here in this place where we come to get our bearings for a living week by week, despite what the Ravens or the Orioles or any other team does. There is an old and not terribly funny joke about the sea captain who was at the top of his career. He had earned a reputation as one who could make excellent decisions in times of crisis. People did notice, however, that just before it was time to give his orders to the crew, he would go down into his stateroom, open up his safe, and take out a little slip of paper and read it. Then he would stride back out on deck and make the right call. Naturally, curiosity about this practice was high. There was no surprise then that after he died, one of the first things the crew did after his funeral was to gather together in his stateroom and watch while the first mate opened his safe and pulled out that well-worn slip of paper. He read it aloud. Port left, starboard right. Not terribly funny. The point is that in difficult times, the captain knew to remind himself repeatedly of the basics. That captain's little slip of paper held information that people already knew. But for him, it was his secret, the basic source of his confidence that gave him the ability to act. Now, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is a little bit like that captain. He navigates obstacles well and is renowned for his wisdom and his decision-making. He also has a secret. It is often called the messianic secret, and it is especially pronounced in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is secretive about his identity. He rejects any outright proclamation of any messianic title for himself. He will be no king. 
His humility is palpable. He deflects praise and doggedly focuses on the immediate tasks at hand. He chooses an enigmatic teaching style. The parables with which he instructs his disciples can be taken different ways so that the deepest secrets of the kingdom of God can lie hidden. He repeatedly sternly orders people not to tell his secret. Shh is Jesus' message to the unclean spirits that he exorcises. Shh is his word to a leper who has been healed. To one with a withered hand, he says, shh. To a deaf man to whom he restores speech, his word is shh. And to a blind man at Bethsaida to whom he restores sight, the word is shh. This is a secret that must be closely held and kept locked up tight. Now, in 1901, the German theologian Wilhelm Vreda proposed in his work Das Messianis Geheimnis in den Evangelien, in the Messianic Secret in the Gospels, that this secret, in fact, was part of Mark's authorship. And he proposed that this phenomenon in Jesus' life was a face-saving creation, a way to explain why it was that Jesus wasn't recognized as Messiah until after his resurrection. It wasn't just, Vreda said, about his humility or his desire to remain undercover, as it were, to act and to heal without drawing too much attention to himself from the desperate masses who could eventually overwhelm him. Jesus himself remained mute on the topic of being the Messiah, which then, in fact, became a contested secret, with his silence being a matter as provocative as a proclamation from the rooftops. By saying nothing and not claiming authority, he drew even more attention to himself. Now, some scholars have contested Vreda's theory on the ground that the Messianic secret was not a secret at all, but was part of the folklore that grew up around Jesus' ministry and was baked in, as it were, to the traditions from which Mark drew. That is, though Jesus and his disciples tried to keep his holy healing powers a secret, especially from the authorities, it never really worked. Word got out consistently, far and wide. Jesus could barely keep up with the crowds, and it took some miracles, in fact, to avert disaster from time to time. Now, other biblical scholars point out that the messianic secret is not a damage control strategy that Mark made at all. It serves a completely different purpose. For Mark, it functions throughout his gospel like that little slip of paper in the captain's safe. It expresses the heart of Jesus' personal identity and his divine presence. The secret of what is written on Jesus' little slip of paper is this. Should I whisper this? There is a new force. There is a new spirit in the world. It is not a demonic spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Just as sick and destructive spirits can take control of people and even whole groups of people, this new spirit is entering people and forming them into a healthy, creative, and new kind of community. Caring, peaceful, and generous. It is the kingdom of God. Jesus' healings, miraculous as they may be, and Mark, in fact, is not the largest repository of miracle stories. That honor goes to the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' proclamations and his healings do not constitute the core of the good news. 
For Mark, the good news begins with Jesus' sudden arrival and reaches a crescendo in Jesus' mission and message of love and service to follow him in life and in death. Jesus' repeated stern words to people not to tell are never completely successful. A healed leper spreads the news. Whole crowds observe the healing of the paralytic let down through the roof by his friends. Is the messianic secret ever really a secret? Well, no and yes. It remains a secret even to this day to those who define power and authority in selfish and controlling ways. For those who believe that might makes right, Jesus truly remains a mystery, inaccessible through any theories of power or domination. Those who seek worldly power don't usually spend much time parsing out Jesus' words or actions. But in the Gospels, they at least seem to try to. And Jesus is most always very straightforward in his approach to those varied forms of power that approach him. He doesn't shy away. As the author and pastor Brian McLaren puts it, Jesus teases, tests, and even taunts his critics, climbing out on a limb and handing them a saw to do their best to do him in. And despite their best taunting, retaliating, and sawing, Jesus stays aloft. Jesus' signs and wonders, mostly focused on the needy and the oppressed, seem to signify that the very real and very dangerous forces of evil lurk in our world then and even now, not just affecting humans one by one, but also affecting institutions like the Roman government or Herod's puppet kingdom or political movements like the Zealots or the Herodians and even religious parties like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Probably most striking of all is that Jesus shows us that evil can even invade his own band of disciples. And it can happen at the least expected moments. Both Judas and Peter, once faithful and true, are temporarily overcome by the powers of evil. But the secret truth of Jesus remains. What Jesus shares with us through our readings, in our hymns, in our prayers in our gathering together, in our lives separately out in the world, with his words and his presence guiding us along, is that there is a counterforce to evil. There is a counter-movement and a counter-kingdom that confronts evil and denies its claim to the truth. There is a goodness present in people that overcomes the gravitational pull of selfishness. This is part of the messianic secret. And it is one of the keys to unlocking his identity. Jesus' authority and power come from his willingness to submit himself to God in sacrificial love for us. We are called to do the same for one another. A final story. An old Dunkard gentleman. You know the Dunkards up across the border in PA who kind of akin to the Church of the Brethren folk? He was once walking down a street in a little Pennsylvania town, and a young evangelist called out to him and approached him and handed him a tract and asked him, Sir, have you been saved? The old gentleman took the tract and looked at it in a minute and pulled out a pencil from his pocket and began then writing on the tract. The younger man stood by impatiently, very curious. Finally, the old man handed the tract back to him. Son, I've written down the names and phone numbers of several of my family and friends. 
Ask them if I've been saved. I could tell you anything. If we are living faithful lives, seeking to serve others, loving them as Christ loved us, it will be no secret to anyone. Amen. Amen.